He's a former member of the NYPD. He started as a street cop, became a detective, and a forensic artist. He's here to talk about his transition and how his artwork helped catch violent criminals. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Brought to you by 4Patriots.com. That's the number 4Patriots.com. They offer the world's best survival food, the Patriot Power Generator 2000X and more. And right now, you can go to 4Patriots.com and use code LET to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store. You'll also get their famous guarantee for an entire year after your order. Plus, free shipping on orders over $97 and a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support our veterans and their families. Just go to 4Patriots.com. That's a number 4Patriots.com. Use code LET to get 10% off. We are connecting with Matthew Klein. He is retired NYPD and he is also, or he was a forensic artist, but he's still heavily involved in the art area first of all matthew thanks for being guest on law enforcement today's show secondly thanks for your service very much appreciated thank you thank you so much for having me on the show now you retired nypd how long ago did you retire back in december so i'm pretty freshly retired you're a rookie you're rookie again it's this whole retirement thing aren't you (laughs) yes i am (laughs) do you remember being a rookie police and feeling like you knew everything you had it going on and you get to your first assignment you're like "Uh uh-oh i have no idea what to do yeah so, I mean, like, you know, my that, my story, you know, I came straight out of the military. So I literally was out of the Army in April of 06, and I was literally in the police academy three months later. You know, I went to the police academy and everything, and then, you know, thought I knew a bit. And then when I got to the street, that's when I really learned the job. And like most people, when I say rookie police, it's not an insult. We all yeah. start there. Uh, some departments call them boots. Some call them recruits. Some call them rookies. Some call them stupid. We all started from a point where we knew nothing. We looked really good. We were squared away, physically squared away, uniforms, everything else, but I had no idea what to do. But that's the, where we all start from. Yep. You start somewhere. And just about every department I know, and I, I almost laugh. I'm sure you've encountered this. Uh, I want to be a detective. I'm going to go to the academy. Then I'll be a homicide detective. I'm like, that's not quite how it works. You got to be a street cop first. Yep. Did you go to patrol? We call patrol as soon as you came out of the academy? Yeah. So when you go to the police academy, there's the NYPD is just a huge department. I think it's like over 30,000 30, members of the service. And um, there's three different branches. There's housing. You know, it does all the public housing in a lot of the big buildings. And you have um, patrol, which is you know everything you see in the movies and stuff. And then you have transit, which is you know all the different um, subway systems and mass transit areas. So, like, you don't really know where you're going to go. So I ended up going to patrol, like, right away. So I did six months of, like, a field training where, you know, veteran officers told you, you know, showed you the ropes. And then I was a radio car for a couple of years doing midnights and later on to a couple other assignments in a precinct. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about you, and I, I love police. I really do. I don't like Hollywood's <laughs> portrayal of police because they don't do us any favors. And quite often they get things so wrong. 
But mm-hmm. we have, and like in your case, you're a military veteran. We have, even when I started in 1980, we had gays, lesbians, college degrees, law degrees, military. We had every walk of life you can imagine. And I'm sure the same for you, wasn't it? No, absolutely. Every walk of life. You know, and, and I saw that, you know, immediately in the academy and then into the, you know, into the priest and into patrol. But very, um, the NYPD has people from every walks of life. Right, and all language skills. That's the other thing, too. So we had, we call for translators because I speak no second languages other than English and street English. That's it. I don't speak <laughs> Spanish. I don't speak Korean. I don't speak anything else. But we had officers that did. So, even yeah. though we may look alike with the same uniform, we were totally different individuals all the way, all the way from religious background, moral background, everything else. But, you know, I don't know about you. I'm pretty sure NYPD is the same. We just didn't care. Just do your job. Yeah, same, same here. You know, and I, and I got a taste of that in the military. So coming into the police, I wasn't a stranger to it. What branch of the military did you serve in? I was in the U.S. Army. Good for you. Thank you very much for your service there. You have a skill set that a lot of people, we almost never get a chance to talk to. You were also a forensic artist. You Were you involved yeah. in art before becoming a cop, or was it something you picked up after? No. So, I mean, my backstory in a, in, in a quick nutshell is um, I grew up, and my dad was a professional artist. He worked for Warner Brothers and Disney. He was a cartoonist. He worked on a lot of different uh, animations and movies and stuff. So I grew up in my childhood with that like art background. So I always drew for fun and just it was always a um, uh, you know a, gr- a great thing for me to do. Growing up though, it was always kind of like feast and famine with the art world. So I was kind of like eh, I don't know about this doing it professionally, but continued to do it as a hobby. Got out of high school, ended up joining the army. Did two tours in Iraq. Continued to draw as a hobby on the side. Became a police officer, continued to draw. And then when I got about, I had like four years on, I ran into an opportunity and found out about the sketch artist unit that I never had any clue even existed. You're kidding. Got in contact with, yeah. You I had, I had, you no, had idea. no idea that that was a skill set they were looking for? No, it's because the NYPD, there's like 30,000 people, only three people in the sketch artist unit. So I went in, interviewed for the position in about 2011. And I took, uh, you know, I had to show my portfolio, do a big art test. I did very well, thank God. And the senior artist is like, hey, you're really talented. But unfortunately, you got to wait for me to retire, kid. So I went back, you know, I stayed on the street. And he finally ended up retiring in the end of 14. And then January 15, the magical day, I got picked up by the detective bureau to be a police sketch artist for the NYPD. So you were a police sketch artist for what, seven, eight years? Eight, eight years, yeah, over eight years. So most of your time was uh, as a street cop. And well, yeah, you also about, transitioned yeah, to detective, correct? Yeah, once I got into it, it was an investigative track. So I got my shield within 18 months of being in that unit. We're going to talk really about Matt's, is it okay to call you Matt? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about Matt's street career experience, making a transition, how he used his forensic artwork to catch violent criminals. One thing that should be noted right now is Matt is, although he's retired police, he is heavily involved in the art world. His brand name for his artwork, which is phenomenal, is Battle Tribe. Uh, You can also do a Google search for Matt Rendar, R-E-N-D-A-R, which is very appropriate for rendering, (laughs) and uh, do a Google search for either one, and you will find his Etsy page and find all his artwork. He's also available on Instagram, which is a great social media for consuming 
videos and images, things of that nature. Just look for at Matt Rendar. So Battle Tribe is your brand. You have an Etsy page. Can people purchase stuff right there? Yeah. So, you know, um, a couple of years back when I was still in the, the police department, you know, I needed an outlet and I was I just started doing my art, uh, artwork on the side and it gained traction. And it's just a great way, you know, to, for, you know, to share my work with people and if people want to purchase art and different types of merchandise I do. That's you phenomenal. Know. We're talking with it's Matthew Klein. There. He is retired NYPD. He is also a forensic artist for NYPD and he is an artist now. This is Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Authorities are now checking our grid for vulnerabilities. They've identified nine key substations. If these substations are attacked, power could be knocked out from coast to coast for up to 18 months. Imagine a blackout lasting not days, but weeks or months. Your life would be frozen in time right at the moment the power fails. Lights all over the country would go out, throwing people into total darkness. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. With the new Patriot Power Generator 2000X, you get a solar generator that doesn't install into your house because it's portable. You can take it with you, even use it inside. But it's powerful enough for your phones, medical devices, or even your fridge. And right now, you can go to 4 and use code LET to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in a store, including the Patriot Power Generator. You also get their famous guarantee for an entire year after your order. Plus, free shipping on orders over $97, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support our veterans and their families. Just go to 4 That's the number 4 Patriots.com and use code LET to get 10% off. That's for Patriots.com. Use code LET to get yours today. This is the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Joining us, we have Matthew Klein, also known as Matt Rendar or Matthew Rendar. That's R E N D A R. And that's a short for rendering. He is an artist. He's retired forensic artist for retired detective, retired police officer for NYPD. You can find him on Instagram. Look for at Matt Rendar. Do a Google search for Matt Rendar or Battle Tribe to get to his Etsy page and see his artwork. I want to go to your career as a street cop. I'm going to say that to me, that's one of the ultimate compliments that I can be given is <laughs> one that I can give someone else. As a, a uniformed police officer, you handle everything from soup to nuts, and you're usually the first on the scene from the most horrific yep. crimes. Was there one incident that, that you know, people just don't really get a grip on that you can say, this is the reality, it was like, this was horrifying for me? So, right prior to becoming a police officer, I did two tours in Iraq. 2005 was a really very violent tour for me. You know, a lot of combat, you know, close quarter, you know, engagements and everything like that. So I come into, I came into the police department with that kind of mindset. Like I've already seen like really horrible stuff. And um, there was a lot of differences, obviously being a police officer, nothing really sticks out my mind, but I worked in a pretty violent precinct. So I worked out in the, uh, the Rockaways, which is like a little coastal precinct in, in the bottom of New York and Queens. So, you know, responded to, you know, gunshots, uh, murders, you know, homicides, all, all different types of stuff. But, um, it's, you know, what it is, is like over in Iraq, it was, you know, it was horrifying seeing, 
you know, Iraqis and other people, you know, maimed and wounded and killed, but seeing like fellow Americans in these predicaments and like, it was a lot more of a, um, you know, close to home feeling, you know, these are like people that you'd see, well, you were just more, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a word, you know, more personable to you just because they were, you know, Americans like you. One of the things that, that I've had many guests on the, the law enforcement talk radio show that have been combat veterans, and one of the things they say is that it's a different mindset with the violence and mayhem and trauma they encounter in, in violent situations overseas in, in combat. When they get to American policing, there's two things they say. One is this isn't supposed to be happening. And number two, when yep. that violence was directed towards them, they're like, look, I, I'm on your side. I, I just don't get it. Yeah. No, 100%. You know, it's, um, you know, when you're over there, it's like, all right, that's what's supposed to be happening over there. And then when you come here, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a shock, you know, to see the, the underside of what's going on, you know, the crime and all the, you know, how people treat themselves and stuff. And like, you know, I was there to help and do the best I could for anybody I encountered, you know, as a, as a police officer. Did so, you find definitely, it, definitely a little bit of shock? Did you find it difficult, Matthew, to like turn off the switch? Because and, and I, I'm not a military veteran. I'm not a veteran mm-hmm. of the United States military at all. But I would imagine that you've got to be ready with your head on a swivel 24 seven when you're in a combat zone, especially Iraq, and then coming mm-hmm. back home. Did you find it difficult to turn off that switch, saying, "Okay, I'm no longer military combatant." Now I'm police officer and now I've got to be mellower. No, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I kept my tactics and my wits, you know, and I, I definitely, my opinion, saw a lot of the situations a lot more dangerous than most people would just because I've been through it. You know, just how fast somebody will try, you know, a person will try to take your life in a violent situation. But, um, you know, I, I adapted to the job and I didn't go in there with a mindset like I know everything, you know, from where I just was. You know, I, I listened to the veteran officers and I got with the program and I did the, my job to the best of my ability. And um, it's definitely a rewarding part of my life. They did 20 some odd years in policing, many of that on the streets. Did Was there ever a period of time when you worked the streets where you could just sit back and relax and say, I can take it easy? No, 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 not really. <laughs> so I worked in a, a pretty good uh, precinct, so... You know, like I always, you know what it is, is one of the things mindsets too I had was like, I made it through all that in Iraq and overseas. I'm like, I'm not getting, I'm not getting hurt or taken out here in in New York city. You know, like, you know, when I retire, then I'll be able to slow it down. But, you know, I got to give it my all the whole time I'm out there, you know, from whether it's, you know, a car stop, you know, like sometimes like like somebody, uh, an officer will do a car stop and the other officer is like, oh, I got it. I'll go up there by myself. No, you get out of the car and you, you know, help them out. You know, like I never. I never slowed it down. It got to the point for me, Matthew, where I didn't even like making car stops that were traffic related. It, unless they, unless I thought that it was a stolen car, they're wanted for murder, they had guns or drugs on them, I didn't want anything to do with it because it's like I couldn't maintain that mindset all the time. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's some, um, you know, military and law enforcement, it burns you out. You know, it takes a lot. And a lot of people understand that, that haven't been through it. But it's just, you know, it takes, it takes a lot out of you mentally. One of the hardest things I had to deal with, Matthew, working the streets was, and I, I can't really come up with the right phrase to describe it, but when I say this, I know what it means. It's the degradation that people live, the, the circumstances they find themselves in, where I just could not reconcile that. Uh, for example, 
uh, as an old man, he was blind and he was living in a basement. He was renting someone's a basement and he was covered with bugs and he threw kerosene all over himself to get the bugs off of him. And I'm, I'm, and I'm 28 at the time thinking I got it all going on and I cannot, I cannot put that in into the proper space where it belongs. It just baffles me that people lived the horrifying, desperate lives they lived. And we had to deal with that all the time. Yeah, you know, it definitely takes a toll on you, you know, just seeing, you know, as I said before, like over in Iraq, you know, you, you have expectations, you see what it is. It's a foreign country. It's another, it's another, it's like another planet. And then you come back to America and it's just like the surprise that, you know, the stuff that you see and, um, it, you know, it weighs on people a lot, but you know, that's the, that's the, um, nature of the job and, you know, somebody has got to do it. So you do, you know, you do your time in there and make it happen and, uh, you know, move on from there. Well, how, how old were you when you first got sent to Iraq? I went, my first time I went was in 2003, just short, uh, just a little after the invasion. So I'm thinking 20, I think like 22, 22. Very young. <laughs> that was very yeah. young. And then. <laughs> there were guys younger than me, though. 18, how old were you when you came out of the academy? So 22, so 20, I was in the academy in 06, so 25. Yeah. And it's still, the reason I bring that up is I can't imagine being in my early 20s going to a combat zone in a totally different part yeah. of the world where people live totally different. My mind can't, yeah. I don't have a point of comparison, Matt, to, to, to say, oh, yeah, I got that. When it comes to policing, <laughs> one of the things that, that never ceases to amaze me is we get calls, and I'm sure you got these too, for domestic disputes. You know, I was 22 years old, and I'm trying to tell people how to live their lives and get along together. And I, I couldn't yep. even date for longer than two weeks. I was so bad. <laughs> and and then doing death notifications, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning, yep. knocking on the door. And yep. by the way, is this Mr. Brown? Yes. Do you have a son named so-and-so Brown? Yes. He was killed in a car accident in Ohio. I'm sorry to break it to you. And and he was younger yep. than me. And I, I really... Nothing really prepared us for that. We are talking with Matthew Klein. Matthew is a retired NYPD. He's also a U.S. military veteran, and he is a forensic artist, and he's also heavily involved in art now. Do a search on Google for Matt Rendar, R-E-N-D-A-R, or his brand, Battle Tribe, to get to his Etsy page and see more, or check him out on Instagram. Look for at Matt Rendar. When we return, we're going to talk about how he used forensic art to catch violent criminals. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What is the Haunting or Not podcast? It's a free podcast that takes a different approach to ghost stories, hauntings, and cases of demonic forces. Husband and wife podcast hosts mix comedy, facts, and a healthy dose of police evidence skepticism to help you decide. Are these hauntings or not? Helping you decide what's real and what is fake or an overhyped exaggeration. From world-famous cases to lesser-known reports, they talk about them all in the Haunting or Not podcast, available for free on most podcast platforms. Or do a Google search for Haunting or Not podcast. I have some exciting news to share with you. You are going to love my Your Diet Do-Over Do-It-Yourself course on HarmonyWithFood.com, which means you could do everything at your own pace. I put my heart and soul into this course. Have you been on every diet there is only to gain the weight back? If your relationship with food is, well, not that good, you should purchase the Your Diet Do-Over course. Go over to HarmonyWithFood.com, click the Your Diet Do-Over tab, and get started today. 
return to our conversation with Matthew Klein, retired NYPD. He is also a forensic artist for NYPD. He retired as a detective. He's heavily involved in art now. His brand name is Battle Tribe. You can do a Google search for Matt Rendar. That's his brand name or Battle Tribe to get to his Etsy page or check out his artwork online at Instagram at Matt Rendar. Man, I got to tell you the first thing about forensic artists is I can't, I can't barely draw a stick figure. So I'm not going to critique. I will say this. We would see many of the forensic artwork that came out, and this is a suspect. I'll use, for example, uh, a child rapist that abducted children and uh, violently assaulted them. And when you see the actual suspect, they don't look anything alike. And I want to say, not even close, but a lot of crimes are solved by forensic art. No, absolutely. What was the most difficult challenge you found in using your art? For example, the first major case that you cracked with your forensic art. Do you recall that one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, the the first thing to start off with is like the whole, the, the way the success is not how good you draw and everything. It's how you listen and the rapport you have with the witness and with talking to them. Because if they're not comfortable with you, they're not going to, they're going to miss out on crucial details that could, you know, nail that, you know, the perp for the detective squads to figure out who it is. Like, you know, one scar or the way the guy's eyes look so important. So the first case that I, um, I had a really good success was that I was brand new uh, rookie actually in the unit. There was a, um, a, um, emotionally disturbed woman in central park and she was trying to steal children. And um, there was a, an au pair in the park pushing two children in a swing set. And this woman emerged from the forest, grabbed one, one, of the, one of the two-year-olds like a football and took off running with her. So the au pair chased after her, was able to tackle her and wrestle, her, wrestle the child away from her. They brought the, um, the au pair down to you know, police headquarters. I interviewed her. I did the sketch. They put the sketch out everywhere. So all over the news, that's, that's another thing, too, is like, you know, that drawing you did, boom, it's in mass media, it's on the, you know, Fox News, it's in the New York Times, the Post, it's all run all over the place. So I get a phone call from my mom the next morning, like, oh, they caught her. I'm like, are you serious? So I turn on the news and sure, sure as can be, they caught her. So uh, what happened was this, the sketch got distributed, you know, all over the internet and everything. And mommy groups that frequently went through Central Park had it on their phones, they're always on the lookout. And they saw the woman, they called it in, and the police got and arrested her right away. So they got this dangerous woman out who was trying to, you know, harm children for some unknown reason. You know, they got her. And, um, you know, it was just nice to be a small part of that, you know, being able to help the detectives out in the field, you know, find find who they were looking for. You got to give yourself a little credit. You got to give yourself a little pat on the back for that one, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. I just, um, I was just really happy. It was, it was cool that my mom saw it. <laughs> And then you know, something, like, wow. you know, the people that you really want to impress, I, 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 I'm air quoting to say impress, the ones that matter the most to me, my mom, my sisters, my wife, my daughters, those are the people that really matter the most. And they almost never seem to catch the good stuff. It's usually they see all the bad <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So, no, it was very rewarding, very rewarding career in the sketch artist unit because I was able to be a part of some really awesome cases that I would have never dreamed of ever being a part of, you know, um, so being the guy called up for it and being able to, uh, you know, help and be a piece, piece of the puzzle. Was your dad, who was a, a big in the art world, was he uh, alive when this happened? 
Yeah, yeah. No, he's still he's still currently alive. Good for you. But, um, did did, he, he, did you have that that moment? You know, like the beer commercials always have, where it's like, yeah, dad's <laughs> arms around the guy. You did good, son. <laughs> he was like, you know, like you made it. You're in the, you're you're a professional, like professional artist. You're being paid professionally to do that. You know, you went on like some crazy roundabout way. You know, going to Iraq, running through the streets and stuff. And uh, but you made it. And I think you know, very very proud of me. It's a, it's a very nice ending to the to uh the career that i never thought i would ever had you know it was a talent i always had in my back pocket and just did it for fun and then it ended up being something i helped you know lots of people with and being a, a crucial part of the nypd was very very rewarding and very it's very a lucky big part of your your after police work life as well but I, I gotta ask you this and i personally you know my father passed like 30 years ago due to uh lung cancer and here's what i tell people Man, if you got your parents in your life, cherish the time because they they won't be here forever. And it doesn't get easier. You just get more used to it. But one of the things I didn't realize, Matt, was how much my mother worried about me until I retired. Did you encounter that as well? Yeah. Yeah. I remember my, especially like Iraq and then being on the streets and stuff, but. You know, very supportive, but definitely a little worrisome on the back. But, you know, that's that, totally understandable. Like, yeah. like my son is getting ready to join the Army, and um, he leaves this summer, and I'm starting to feel it myself. You know, after experiencing it myself, and now, now he's, you know, carrying on the torch. So I totally understand it. And then, then tell me he's going to be a police officer after that. <laughs> he, <laughs> he said he, he wants to go in law enforcement. I'm like, all right. Look. So, I gotta ask you, cop to cop. My, one of my <laughs> yeah. daughters, she she lives. They both both my daughters live in Buffalo, New York, and she took the test a long time ago for Buffalo Police Department, and they didn't contact her for a couple of years later. And they're like, "Hey, we got a spot in the academy for you." And she's at that point going, "Uh, no way, I'm not doing that <laughs> job." I see what it did to my dad, and I was yeah. thank God I didn't have to discourage her. You've mm-hmm. got to have that talk and say, "Look," or, or as a dad with a, a, a child that's now adult going into combat as a military member and then police work, do you, you feel like you want to have that talk? I've already had it, you know, and um, it's it's crazy, too, because, like, just reflecting, like, you know, like when I was over there, I almost got killed a couple times. I'm actually a Purple Heart recipient. I got I stepped on an IED and survived, you know, very lightly wounded, nothing nothing bad. So, like, I've seen it all. And I told him from the get-go, I'm like, you really have to want this dude. You know, like, you hear a lot of good stories and stuff, but I'm like, it, it, it really sucks. And um, it's the most noble thing I you're ever going to do. But if you're not invested and want to do it, you know, don't do it because dad did it. And he's like, nope, I want to do it. So, and you just look into his eyes and you see that he has that, he wants to do it. And it's also, too, like, you know, not to, you know, be down on anybody else, but, like, who's going to do it? So when the when you feel the the few feels you know it's their calling to serve the country, you know our communities, our cities, you know God bless them because who else is going to do it? You know someone's got so, to, and that, yeah, that, somebody's got to do it. That causes me to lose sleep. One of the things that uh, uh, someone on the show said a long time ago is that if you don't like the the A team in police work, wait till the B team shows up. Wait till the second stringer yeah. show up. And someone's yep. got to do the job. And we're, we're seeing this already across departments across the United States. And I'm not saying yours. I'm not saying mine. I'm not saying any agency in particular. But we have horrible, rogue police doing horrible things that neither you nor I would tolerate. As a matter of fact, no one I worked with would tolerate this stuff. Yeah. No, 100%. You know, so 
you know, but the way you combat that is the best step up, step up to the plate, you know, to serve. So, yeah. And here we are a couple old retired police talking about what some of the younger (laughs) should be doing. Look, there are times, Matt, that I look back and I go, I don't know how I survived. And at the time, I thought it was because I was really good at what I did. I was a really good police. I worked with really great people. And, you know, nothing bad was going to happen to me. And then I realized that some really, really great cops, they were killed. Other ones remained. I, I, I got injured, but others were in, in, in wheelchairs. And I couldn't find a logical reason why them are not made. This is a law enforcement talk radio show. We're going to return to our conversation with Matthew Klein in just a moment. He goes by the a.k.a. alias of Matt Rendar, R-E-N-D-A-R. Do a, a Google search for Matt Rendar or Battle Tribe, his brand, to get to his Etsy page to see his artwork. And also on Instagram, look for at Matt Rendar. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Discover the exciting world of podcasts at hefepods.com. Immerse yourself in exciting stories, Learn new knowledge and connect with great podcasts in both English and Spanish at hefepods.com. From captivating stories to life advice and much more, there's a podcast for every interest and passion. Be entertained by your favorite radio personalities in both English and Spanish and explore great stories in every podcast. English and the hard-to-find Spanish language podcasts are all at hefepods.com. Don't waste any more time. Find a great English or Spanish language podcast to follow and discover a world of possibilities in your own language. Find the best podcasts at hefepods.com. Turn a conversation with Matthew Klein on the Law Enforcement Talk radio show. Matthew is a retired NYPD officer, also United States Army military veteran, Purple Heart recipient. The list goes on and on. He is retired detective. He's a forensic artist, comes from an art background, and that's something I know nothing about. Before we get into the art, it's still part of his life. His brand name now is Battle Tribe. You can do a Google search for Battle Tribe or Matt Rendar, R-E-N-D-A-R, to get to his Etsy page. Or check him out on Instagram. Look for at Matt Rendar. We talked earlier, Matt, about the, the the woman in the park that was trying to harm children. There was another case yeah. that your forensic art was involved in helping to arrest someone. Was it a cold case? Yeah, it was a cold case from a homicide from 1976. Pretty wild. Whole 1976. Were you even around yeah. then? <laughs> no, no, I was not. <laughs> Isn't that, uh, that is, look? I got to ask. Doesn't that kind of strike you as odd that your artwork that you're involved in interviewing a cold case from before you were born was instrumental in mm-hmm. capturing the, the or identifying the suspect? Yeah. No, it was a um, very, very cool case. It was like one of the last big cases I did before I retired. So it was, it was just a really nice way to go out. But um, a really you know horrific, a horrific murder that I was able to play a piece in, and like some, some of the, it's it's funny though, but some of the detectives that were involved in the case are like just the top of the top of the you know, top of the cream of the crop, the NYPD. So just to be a part of it and to um, get a conclusion to it, you know, unfortunately a lot of cold cases, you know, don't go too far. But um, just it was, it was a great case. What's the old saying? Is it if it's not solved or got serious clues in the first forty eight hours, you're you're kind of done. Yeah, it's very, very hard. 
catching a cold case from 1976. How long did it take before they found out who the suspect was? So it was actually back in, I think it was 20, I think it was 2021 the case started. So, okay, so what happened was a victim, uh, a witness of the of the murder came, came to the detective squad and was pretty much saying, and this is all you can Google. This is really a lot of stuff online about it. But she she came back and she had a memory, a horrible memory when she was younger that her stepdad had brought a body bag, uh, two bags home with body parts in it and had her help bury it in the backyard. So the detectives are like, oh, so the detectives find out where this address was. And this is back in the 70s. So they find the address. They get a warrant permission. They go in cadaver dogs they find remnants of this of this victim they do dna tests they come back to um to no, nobody this person's never been arrested they don't have any dna in the file you know from back in the day so they end up through different channels getting doing a um a genealogy a familiar dna report and they find several relatives all over america and um they reach out to them and they, all these relatives are in like their 70s and 80s and they all recall that their uncle went missing back in 1976. So the NYPD finds the missing report for this gentleman, and they have they know it. They they think it's him. They have all the information on the you know the missing report. You know how much he weighed, what he looked like, everything like that. They talk to the relatives. The relatives do not have any photos of this guy. So they're trying to um, figure out what he looks like. So I get, a, I, I get the random phone call, you know, feet on the desk. I put my feet down, pick it up. And it's like, hey, how you doing, Detective Klein? You know, we're cold, you know, homicide and cold case. We have, we're trying to um, do a, a picture of a guy. We have his DNA. He was a victim. He went missing back in the 70s and 76. And we're trying to find out what he looks like. We have his DNA report. Well, you know, it has all different things on it, like what he look, kind of looked like based on his DNA. We have a missing report from when he went missing around the time. And we, um, we have photographs of the relatives. Now, the relatives are all, they're all like nieces and nephews. They're all like in their 70s and 80s. Can you take their pictures and, you know, these reports and everything and come up with a, of what the guy looked like? And what do I say? Absolutely. <laughs> you hang up the phone and that's, that's when the work, you know, starts. It's kind of like a, like a big math problem. You just sit down. You're just trying to figure out all the different clues. So I look at all the family members, they all kind of have the same facial structure, nose, eyebrows, you know, the space between their lips and, their, and the, the bottom of their nose, their jaw lines. They all have like very similar things. I look at the missing report and I drew like 32 different variations of how this guy looked. So I bring it, you know, we have a conversation with the, um, the one of the niece and the niece is like this one picture just looks just like him. So I'm like, all right, great. So the next day, a relative finds one photograph of this guy in his service uniform from World War One, from 1918. So now, so I look and I can see, you know, so now I have a face of him from so many years ago. I look at the picture that she, she liked and I can see, you know, things very familiar with it. So then I just age progress the picture. So I take the picture, put it in, I start drawing it and building it up and I come up with a sketch of the guy. The sketch is distributed. Detectives begin the arduous case, going all over the place, because they had to find witnesses, and they do. So what happened was, the gentleman, he was like, he, you know, he was a little emotionally disturbed. He would, you know, wander the neighborhood, but he always had large sums of cash in his pocket. Uh, a barber shop, a bar, one of the barbers there knew of this and invited him in after hours and killed him.
dismembered his body, put it in a bag, and brought it back to the address. And this is all through witnesses, um, the perpetrator's brother, and um, a couple other sources. So they got him. They arrested him on the charges. The, the believe the perp was in the mid-70s. They brought him in. We got ready for the trial. And at the uh, last second, he just he took the plea deal, and he's in for jail for like the rest of his life. Well done. So, well pretty, done, indeed. Pretty I, wild. I don't even know where to begin with on this. See, I'm not an artist. So <laughs> what do you say? Hey, can you age progress something from, by the way, we don't have a photo. We don't have anybody seen him in 30 some odd, 40 years. But hey, go ahead. And you're thinking, yeah, I can yeah. get this done. It's not a big yeah, deal. I, got this. I, don't, I don't say no. <laughs> did you say, uh, uh, when you hung the phone, did you say to yourself, I have no idea where to start? You know what it is? It's like everything in life. You just break it down to small manual chunks and start a nice little slow roll and start from the beginning. And, and that's what I did, you know? What like, they well, say, the, how do you eat an 800-pound gorilla or an elephant in the corners in one bite at a time? That's it's all you can do. And start with the it. worst part first because you know that's it's it. going to be bad. Uh, better, better to yeah. end with the good <laughs> stuff. So now you're retired. And before retiring, you started getting into creating your own brand, which is called Battle Tribe. And by yep. the way, do a Google search for Matt Rendar. That's R-E-N-D-A-R. Or remember Battle Tribe, and you can land on his Etsy page, which I did, and there's some phenomenal stuff on there. What possessed you to do this? What's your motivation? It was just um, it started off as just like a fun thing, and it turned into a business. I um, I just do a lot of you know like pop culture, comic. Book. I just kind of do a lot of military, law enforcement, all different types of things uh, for D-Day. So that I did a you know, a, a picture, a drawing commemorating the invasion of Normandy and like, you know, just a lot of different stuff, a lot of military history. I do some like nerdy stuff like from movies and, and, um, it's great and people enjoy it. And, um, you know, I get a lot of feedback from different people, but it's just a, it's a complete labor of love and outlet for me. Well, I gotta tell you, I really enjoyed it. I looked at several of your drawings, several pieces of your artwork, and I was thinking, man, I, I would like wearing this stuff. I really would. Because you got <laughs> shirts, you got mugs, you got a bunch of other stuff there as well, don't you? Yep. Yep. Do a Google search again for Matt Rendar. Now, the reason Rendar is so important because it's short for rendering. says so Matt Rendar, R-E-N-D-A-R, or Google search Battle Tribe, and you will get to his Etsy page. And you'll find his brand. And one of the other places you can find him on social media is Instagram. Look for at Matt Rendar. Are you on any other social media outlets, Matt? Nope. That's it. And that's a perfect spot for visual consumption of photos and videos instagram i want to thank you for your service matt and thank you for your fascinating efforts and uh most importantly for being guest on the law enforcement talk radio show all very much appreciated thank you so much it was a complete pleasure if you want to be a guest on the law enforcement talk radio show simply contact us it couldn't be easier you can send us a message on facebook look for and like the law enforcement talk radio show page or email j at letradio.com that's jay at letradio.com i'd like to thank our guests for coming on the law enforcement talk radio show The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.